Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Buddhas by the Roadside. Um, this week we speak roughly about environmental activism, highly sensitive people, and the diagnosis slash label um, of HSP. Um, we speak about a TED talk called Where Are You From? Um, where we are being interested in the other or not wanting to find the connectors rather than the differences. We speak about humanism, we speak about a Facebook post from Peanuts, um, and we end up talking about messy conversations. So that's very roughly what we're speaking of. As usual, this is a conversation. It's flowing in all directions. Once again, thank you for tuning in and enjoy. The second thing that I wanted to unpack. Before you go on, did, did you, um, do you know, have you heard of the, uh, now let's think carefully. There's this guy, Derek Jensen. Um, he, uh, when he was quite a lot younger, he was, um, he was like a more serious version of Greta Thunberg. Um, and he published a, uh, I think a really great book called something like uh, a language older than time. Um, and it started up a really sort of interesting movement of, of um, uh, environmental activism. And uh, then. <clears throat> when are we speaking about? Yeah, I think the book came out uh, about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So sort of late 90s, uh, early 2000s. And um, I, I didn't know quite how it happened, you know, but the, the whole discourse within that movement turned to an idea that things were so terrible that violence against um, environmental offenders uh, was quite justified. So if you could blow up something, that would be a good idea to do. And they, and they, they started this thing called the, I think it's called the Deep Green Revolution. Um, and it was all sort of, you know, dramatic and secretive and dark web and uh, you can just join, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but amongst these people, there was this, um, there was this woman called Lear Keith. And um, Leah, Keith and Derek were like the sort of royal couple of, of uh, violent environmental activism kind of thing. Um, and Leah uh, was also a really militant vegan. Um, and she's now become a militant anti-vegan. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not sure that she would call herself a militant anti-vegan, so, you know, sorry, Leah, if I was being disrespectful. Uh, <clears throat> it, it says more about me than about you. Um, <clears throat> but um, I could really recommend that you watch her, her uh, talks on YouTube. They're really quite fascinating. Um, when she's a militant anti-vegan talks? Well, she's not that militant, um, but she has um, 
she's 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 moved 180 degrees and um I think sometimes regrettably she generalizes like a lot of sort of activists do um but she has a lot of uh things to say about um body states and mental states that um sort of may uh, result out of the sort of uh, stoic attachment to particular things in her case veganism and she became quite ill and and uh, didn't really cope at all and she's feeling a lot better and I mean there's a whole sort of rash of these um, I think interesting uh, sources of, of what should one say experience and worldview you know like um, mm, uh, there's this film Cowspiracy um, uh, there's uh, there's a film on Netflix about how all of the great athletes are vegetarians and that it's a secret that nobody wants to talk about. You know, it's got a kind of sort of conspiracy vibe about it. We spoke about mm, it in one of these that. programs, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, I think it was last, or this spring, we, we spoke about it. Yeah, so Leah is kind of, uh, you know, in that spectrum on the one end. Um, And there's some things about her. Uh, I'm not sure about the the content so much, but there's definitely something that's really quite heartfelt and vulnerable in uh, someone with such a huge profile uh, breaking ranks and saying, you know, um, I've actually damaged myself by being so uh, obsessed. And um, so here I am and, um, you know, Yeah, I think changing your mind is highly underrated. Yeah. As well as listening to, to all of you, um, all parts of you. Um. Item two. Item two. On the agenda. Now there was, it, it's something that I've been picking up also building from, from our conversation last week. Um, Dominic, you said something that, that really has been with me since then. And you said something, something highly sensitive people. I can't remember what the context was, but I think we were talking about, you know, taking an input from from the outer world just in general um, you know I've I've <clears throat> I've encountered the term highly sensitive people or highly sensitive what's the persons number yeah, isn't there a, uh, another yeah. sensitive it, syndrome yeah uh, whatever H the the yeah. sort of HSP. catchy on 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 the agenda sort of low-key um, put on a pedestal 
sort of syndrome that that I think you know I, I I'm trying to find the right words without without just bashing people and and the concept entirely you know for the for the last three years I've been in in university and been in a context where where people are sort of finding their their footing and finding themselves in in a more adult world than they've previously been in and in that process a lot of things happens and you know it, it is a process and i've encountered some people that that explicitly have said i am a highly sensitive person and sort of use that as an excuse to not do certain things um as i think a lot of people are doing with a lot of these diagnoses um you know i had i had a the kid that I'm working with as a coach, I'm a youth coach with for for a kid who who had troubles socially and and you know challenges, um, and we went to to a firing range with what are you call air guns, soft air guns? No, the not soft air guns, the other ones, luftgevärsskytte. Yeah, it's an air gun. Yeah. And and he really tried to focus, you know, aiming at that small little shitty pamphlet and and he was like, My my ADHD is kicking in, I I can't focus anymore after, you know, thirty minutes or something. And I think that's a, a in that case, that's a viable explanation. Um one could also just say that you're not used to focusing on something that's not a screen for this long. You know, there there are two explanations for it. Um, there there are, you know, multiple explanations other than those two, but but those are two quite handy ones. And in the same kind of sense, I've I felt that people who've said that they are highly sensitive people. Are just showing that as a card and saying, "Yeah, I can't do this." It's it's their get out of jail card. Exactly, exactly. I can't do group work because I'm a highly sensitive person. I can't go to classes because I'm a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, today I'm a bit more sensitive, so I can't do this. You know those kinds of things. Oh. And I've sort of grown to resent the the thought of being. Highly sensitive, oh. because of that. Oh. Um, and then when you said it last week, you said it in the context of of picking up vibes and picking up things that are happening more on a macro scale rather than the micro. Oh. Um, which really makes sense to me. You know, in in the sense of. Picking up on on vibes and on 
um, feelings and on, you know, things that are going on around you and in the world. And there, <clears throat> there have been things that, Helena, you said that you had a really sleepy day yesterday. And, and I realized walking around in Malmö yesterday, and I've realized that a couple of days in the past three weeks or something, that that some days have just been, the city's been, city, the whole city has been off. Sort of like if you, you push something that's in orbit, just a couple of degrees, it's just something isn't right here. You know, I've been walking around smiling at people and they've been frowning back. Or I've been talking to people. No, but you know, usually... <laughs> fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. Oh, God. Fuck you. So you're the guy we saw in the news. <laughs> Watch out for a lunatic in Malmo. He's going around smiling He's and smiling. saying hello to strangers. <laughs> oh, sorry, you can't sort of give us one of those and expect us not to take it. But but I don't expect you not no. to take it, but I'm going to <laughs> say fuck you both. But just for the record, I am also one of those people who smiles at people and nods hello. So all, all the all the sympathy, all the sympathy. <clears throat> okay. Great. Usually. When I do that, you know, it's 90% of people smile back. In the past couple of weeks, I've noticed days where, where things have been off. It's been the reverse. 10% smile back. And every single person that I talk to, you know, almost at least, most people that I talk to have said, you know, something of the sort, I feel very tired today, or I, I feel down, or, you know, I'm just not myself, or whatever the, the wording is, it's been, I am a couple of degrees off, or something is a couple of degrees off. And then you, you, you brought up the, Dominic, the well, I, I guess that you were you were implying the, the presidential election in, in the US uh, with saying it's been a roller coaster week, you know, that's absolutely part of it. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's been a big part for for everyone uh, in well, basically everyone in the whole world. Um, I don't really know where, where I was going with this other than that, you know, bringing up the notion of, of paying attention or sort of the thought of paying attention to those things. Because I think at this, at the same time, so if 
we have this background of of we're 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 a couple of degrees off. And then at the same time, people are walking around feeling, you know, something's off. And and I need to do something about it. Or, you know, I need to work harder today or I need to call a friend or whatever. You know, I need to do something. And just paying attention to that as as. It's been very interesting because I get very different interactions with people those days. Um, and in sort of even manipulating it in certain ways. I've, I, I saw, um, well, the kid I'm, I'm working with yesterday and when we met, he was off too, you know, sort of, I'd been, I'd been walking all the way through town, um, seeing all of these people, not smiling back at me, um, met him and he was just, you know, you could see on him that he was he was tired, something was off. And I asked him if, if he was tired and he said, yeah, well, a little. And then we walked in silence to uh, a hamburger restaur- restaurant. I put a milkshake in his hand and 10 minutes later, he was bouncing around. You know, he was bubbling, he was speaking, he was sort of himself again or rather rather than himself he was he was filled with energy in a very different sense and even even one of the most one of the most consistent people that i know uh you know yom who is you know, I've I, I've seen him, I've been working with him for a year. I've seen or heard him down or sort of off um, a handful times, possibly. And, and probably three out of those five times have been, he's just not been sleeping because he's been working. But even he had that sort of feeling in the past week when we saw each other he was off which was very odd to me oh And the funniest thing about this, I think we brought this up in, in the context of, of, or it might be that I, I connect conversations that, that are sort of on different ends, but, but I've been speaking about one, one of the hardest things with this pandemic for me is that the library closest to me has closed 
the Malmö University Library. It is one of the best places to sit and work for me, especially in the evenings, because, you know, if I get there around 4 or 5 p.m. and sit in this uh, silent section, people are starting to, to take off. Sort of the students are done for the day, um, but there are always... Um, they they have these tables for six people all across um, with some windows facing out. And at every single point or every single day that I've been there, there have been at least one person on each table sitting there until eight o'clock when they close. And one of one of my biggest energy sort of one of one of the things that I can feed off of, is sitting there with those people, not studying. And sort of going in there with, if I'm having a bad day, I go in there with a competitive mindset saying, I'm going to outwork these people. Because I know these people are the people that work hardest, or at least the latest at the university. So I'm going to outwork them. Uh, and that has been an energizer for me. Um, sort of drawing energy from that. But I've also realized that this week I haven't been feeling off. As I said, I was smiling at people yesterday. I had a wonderful day. You know, the sort of going in the opposite direction of that both gives me, has, has given me leverage, but has also sort of given me an opportunity to be there for people. You know, Jan and I had a very productive conversation of, you know, probably an hour where we started to plan ahead, hmm. where where I actually could go in and say, you know, I've got this. I had the same experience yesterday with one of my clients saying, you know, be being there for her when she was feeling off. And that's also a huge energy increase for me. Hmm. Ten rants later. I think it's the meat. <laughs> that has crossed my mind. I mean, the opposite to a highly sensitive person must be a highly insensitive person, i.e. H.I.P., a hipster. You've obviously gone from being a hipster to a, a highly sensitive person in a short space of time. <laughs> I mean, all hipsters are like vegetarians anyway, so, you know. So I think you're making the transition. That's basically what it's getting down to. Nice to have the, the sort of diagnosis and, and just be done with it. Yeah. I'm no longer a hipster. That's the sort of great benefit of epithets is that they explain the world in general terms, um, you know, in seconds. What mm. was I saying? Oh, I've got ADHD. Well, there you go. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> mm. And and that's one of my I think that's one of my pet peeves as well. This you know, the 
the ease that something like that brings in, the fact that epithets are there, that we all have a, a common sense of what this means, um, etc. It is an explanation, which is fine. But the the willingness and or eagerness of people to use it as an excuse, like, ugh, rubs me the wrong way. Um, and I think makes life It, it it narrows the bandwidth somehow of 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 living like oh no i can't do that because i'm hsp or i have adhd or i you know whatever the thing and i'm not disqualifying the thing i'm saying if you if you habitually use it as an excuse you're narrowing your path of of living of experiencing life in a way that I, I don't think serves people, generally speaking. Yeah, and I think there's, uh, you know, there's a few things to unpack there. I mean, partly the, the epithets don't really mean that we actually agree to what they mean um, at all. So, for example, in a in a political context like Sweden, um, pretty much all of the parties in Sweden call themselves feminist. It's a completely absurd idea, uh, but you know there it is. But then none of the parties would not call themselves humanist, and that's less of an absurd idea. It's sort of self-evident that everybody is humanist. Why would they not be humanist? What would they be otherwise? And the uh, the sort of you frowning. No, oh, maybe they call themselves pianists. Well, yeah, they could do that as well. <laughs> but the point for me is that that you know the. The issue is that equating the realm of experience with um, a realm of classification um, is, is really unfortunate because it does, uh, it, it might make things simpler. Um, it makes it a lot easier to categorize and to sort of practically point at things and to organize things, you know, but um, when you've done organizing, um, there's, a, there's a point of returning again to this problem of subject and object. So um, my subjective experience of sensitivity, uh, when it becomes turned into the object of a highly sensitive person or ADHD or whatever it is, um, loses all of that authenticity because the function is completely different. It's now meant to categorize and, and to 
to reify, to thingify. You can sort of put it where it feels most comfortable and it excludes the possibility of relating, it excludes the possibility of contact, it excludes the possibility of, of process. It becomes empirical. That is the thing. And when people apply that then, um, in the sense of, uh, oh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I don't know, um, I'm coffee cup. Today I'm coffee cup, so sorry, um, I can't actually do that particular thing, uh, because uh, if you coffee cup, then you don't do that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, really? Yeah, that's how it is. And there's many of these kind of uh, uh, um, categories within a society, you know, whether it has to do with gender, ethnicity, uh, class, background, uh, you know, personal uh, health symptoms, etc., etc. And sort of put into a context in which uh, there's a, a very clear coupling between um, victim cultures and uh, attention-seeking, um, it's obvious that it becomes kind of uh, endemic to apply these types of uh, epithets to gain some sort of advantage, because that's the only capital you've got. And it may well be annoying, um, but for me the, the really obvious thing around it is to engage in some sort of relationship because that takes it out of the uh, 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 out of the the thing and into the process of the thing, yeah, into the sort of uh, experiential. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that if somebody says to you, "I can't participate in group work because I've, I'm HSP." Well, then that conversation is shut down. Mm. So for me to shift that would be to say, uh, how are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Yeah, that makes sense. And that person may quite legitimately have an experience that the room in which you're sitting um, is loud, stuffy, you know, whatever the case might be, that there are issues in the group um, in which there are uh, 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 group cultures, dynamics, uh, different kinds of power, rank, um, all of which are genuinely valid and actually could enrich everybody's experience and their, 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 their relations to both to themselves relationships to themselves and relationships with the others. Um, but the reliance on, on, on generalized epithets, well, it gives you the escape for three seconds, but in the end it just makes everything more and more and more stale, more and more ossified. Um, you know, it, it sort of uh, engenders and generates a consistency in that culture. So don't sort of mention um, the, the HSPs, don't mention the LGBTQTs, don't mention this, don't mention that. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? 
everybody's quiet. Well, I guess then there's nothing that we need to say. Great, everything is fine. Um, and I mean, I'm being sort of extreme and, and, and generalizing to, to, to point at how that dynamic works. Um, because the other side of it is messy life. You know, it is about um, accepting that this person that is a highly sensitive person actually has something to contribute, that they are part of the spectrum of life for this group at that time in that context. Um, and it may not be obvious, and it almost certainly is kind of uncomfortable maybe, or requires some effort, or not in the direction that we thought it was going to move in. Um, but if you kind of, I mean, in the, in the, in the first instance, move out of the, the empirical into a more uh, process-oriented uh, uh, awareness, it certainly makes it a lot easier. Um, because definitely people that just avoid doing things, um, there's, an, there's, a, there's a sort of irritation attached. It's time to clean the house. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sort of dust sensitive, you know, so I can't um, be part of that detail. Um, and then that person becomes the one that's always avoiding something and, and uh, so on and so on. But these dynamics, you know, if you get out of the, 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 the content and specifics of them and start to think more about the system and the process, um, these are roles that are held regardless of what the, um, the situation is that the, the group finds themselves in. And behind those roles are all kinds of states and feelings and, and so on that get carried over into other situations. Um, and, and out of it emerges different states of rank and power and so on. So, you know, if there's uh, an issue with um, meat eaters in the group um, and there's a kind of societal consensus that meat eating is bad, uh, well, guess who decides the menu? The power and rank always land with people that happen to be uh, vegetarians. And amongst the vegetarians, there's power and rank issues with vegans um, and so on and so on. So when those vegans uh, speak out on other issues that have not got to do with food, they may actually carry completely uh, uh, an, an imbalance of power and influence. And this is similar with uh, HSP or any other sort of, um, you know, um, currently energized concept in society. The content of the concept is probably quite interesting and valid, but the experience of it, I think, is, is far more worthwhile because you can never avoid the contextual issues around experience. But if you're only going to present the empirical stuff, you know, about, well, are you woke or not? Um, what does that mean? Well, you have to be this and that and the other and not be uh, X, Y, and Z. Um, then there's nowhere to move. There's nowhere to relate. There is no sort of contact to be had. There's only identification. Isn't that what we're doing on a political Sort yeah. of level exactly that's exactly what we do all of the time and we 
don't feel very good about it. We feel ill, you know, it's like a sort of continuous state of either hangover or, um, you know, total shit-faced drunk party, but you either in total identification and justification or otherwise you in in the sort of uh, wilderness state of, of um, there's no hope, there's only nihilism, everything is bad. That's my take on it anyway. I was watching a, a TED talk that I got sent to me from, from a friend. And it's a lady, I don't remember her name, but the, the title of it is, Where Are You Local? And it speaks to this, the experience of the categories because she has a background of mum being from Nigeria and dad from Ghana or whatever and her being born in the UK but living in the US. You know, it's like, so the question normally is, this is the question we all get and that we all ask is, where are you from? And she was like, where the fuck am I from? You know, nothing really sits well here. Mm. It's like... Either I'm from the U.S., yeah, but I was born in the U.K. and my parents have, you know, or or she's the Ghanan lady who lives in the U.S. Like, no, but I'm not, you know, it's like, so where are you from pinpoints this, uh, the problem with these categories, these epithets, these labels that we put on people. And she said, the much more interesting question is, where are you local? Where are the the places in the world where the shopkeeper knows you by name or where, you know, when you take your morning walk, you always come across this man with a dog and you nod at each other. And, you know, it's like the sense that this is my place and it's local and it's, it's you know, I'm local to Malmö um, rather than Swedish in that sense. But also then, where do you have relationships? You know, what are the significant relationships in your life? Who do you speak to on a daily basis or a weekly basis? How are those influences your sense of um, where are you local? Because you can be local then in, like, for her then, in Ghana, which she goes to a month every year, you know, it's like that's a relationship that draws her to that place rather than the sense of, of, of the shopkeeper knowing your, your name. And then the last one was restrictions. So what does your passport allow you to do or not to do? Um, can you... Can you can you be in the place where you actually feel uh, that you're local? No, you can only stay for three months because you have a different passport. You have to leave, right? So all of those, and it, it just, it, it, I link it to this conversation that we've had because again, it opens up so many more layers. It's like, I'm Swedish, I'm German, I'm, I'm Ghanaian, whatever. 
is, is it's it's a flat it's a one-dimensional it doesn't it doesn't explain it doesn't tell me enough there's it's like a stamp but there's no uh yeah there's no richness to it there's no life there's no pulsation oh. in it it's there's nothing moving there's nothing living in that i'm swedish period it's like what you know it's like there's so much more to humans um and i think the same is true for if i say that i am hsp or i have adhd or i am lgbtq or pq whatever i i heard a um an a yet another addition to that that i went what how many how long will we make that label be till it includes everybody until it includes everybody precisely it's like wow and still it's it's one dimensional it's it's there's it's too tiny it's too narrow it doesn't it doesn't give me what's there Yeah, and I think there's this kind of, uh, there is an option uh, that's uh, maybe self-evident, but I think um, deceptively, um, it, it, it contains enormous power, you know, is, is, is choosing to see these things as processes rather than states or as uh, sort of empirical reified things um, so if i sort of think of myself as i am sweding um you know then right now i'm sweding okay yeah well that's kind of a, a weird experience to have you know uh, but it's not the totality of me um, there are other processes there are other um other emergent uh, parts of me that are not part of that identity of, of I am uh, a Swedish person, I'm male, I'm of this age, I'm from that region, blah, blah, you know, that there's stuff that can't be included in that curated version um, for various reasons. They may be forbidden, they may be socially unacceptable, they may be, um, you know, uh, issues of shyness or um, uh, sensitivity or whatever the case might be but dealing with them as processes rather than as um, events as as uh, sort of permanent states makes it possible that um, there's there is life you know there's unavoidably there's life even when they are uh, uh, static in that form. Um, there's tensions around the edges. There's all these kind of weird contradictions in in behaviors, double messages. The way that uh, you know the the woke environment um, involves these bizarre uh, double standards. That uh, we're really interested in freedom of speech, but you're not allowed to say that. Whoa, really? Yeah. 
that's how it is, you know. Um, and those, um, those kind of bits of static out on the on the periphery, on the edges of of uh, relationships and behaviors, uh, continuously remind us, sometimes in an unfortunate way, but remind us of that there is life in there. There's definitely a, a lot of energy in maintaining the identities, you know, in, well, I'm a feminist. What kind of a feminist are you? Well, I'm a radical feminist. Okay, so which one of the three schools of radical feminism do you subscribe to? <laughs> because you, you maybe Never not part of my school, you know. Uh -huh, okay. I'm a third wave anti-Christian Modern 2008 in Ohio, radical feminist. Radical feminist, yeah. Okay, dude. Sorry. No cigar. Mm. Bam. I think the HSP thing is, is wonderful. It's like a... It's a relief. It's like everybody got a bunch of flowers, you know, for free out of uh, the, the sort of cultural evolution. Explain what? Well, it's just like suddenly the notion of sensitivity becomes popularized. You're allowed to feel, you're allowed to notice your discomforts and uh, your extreme states and um, your funny reactions, and it becomes okay to say that, uh, you know, I get nervous uh, if there's uh, too loud noise or if there's too much movement, I can't concentrate or whatever. It's kind of like suddenly um, the, the, the sort of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the economic man uh, uh, perspective, the human experiences that are less valuable suddenly gain some rank and power. Um, and, you know, it's this problem of, of signal and noise and in, in many ways uh, what comes up comes out as noise, yeah? Um, a little bit like the whole work thing. It comes out really skew and, and kind of funny. Um, but there's something essential that's really, really important in there. That's like, okay, you know, here's, here's a message coming from, from the edge of the, the, the group process of, the, of, of society, of civilization. There's this thing of the, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm, I finally got to know what's wrong with me. Um, I'm highly sensitive. Okay, is that even a thing? What the fuck is sensitive? Uh, you know, sensitive is the thing when you're actually alive and awake and your senses work and you can process what it is you're feeling. And if you feel overwhelmed, you're allowed to put your hand up and say, I feel overwhelmed. Um, that doesn't go that well. That doesn't fit that well in the, the heroic sort of military world of achievement and you know, getting up at 4.30 and doing your push-ups. Um, so yeah, I like, I like the notion of highly sensitive. A question. Well, I wonder, <laughs> Would we have gotten HSP as a, as a label without all of the focus that's been on the previous years on these different types of, of 
on the autism spectrum, the, the neuropsychological, whatever they're called, um, ADHD, NFPs. ADD. NSPs, yes, precisely. NFPs, NSP. NFP, yeah. Would we have gotten HSP without those? Because in a sense, I can, I, this might, you know, it's like, I, I'm sorry in advance if I'm offending people and I will be offending people. But so people not on the NFP spectrum, a little bit of a jealousy of, I want to be able to also claim my sensitivity, to own my sensitivity, that I feel, that I'm affected, that I'm um, you know, influenced by, I don't have the NFP, but fuck, I feel too. And then you get HSP. It, it's, it's a kind of a mirror, um, mirror label mm. for those who are also sensing and want to be able to claim that, but who aren't on the spectrum. Mm. And, and Isn't that just... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Caspian. You also had a question or a comment. No, but isn't isn't that just a continuation of of wanting to be on a team? Sort of uh, the same thing as with the LGBTQ plus RSVP. Yeah, well, you know the the alphabet people. Um, you know, you you want a label. You want you want a team. Sort of, we're the ADHD, ADHD people. Yeah, we're the ADD people. Yeah, we're the autism spectrum on the far right people. Yeah, we're sort of. I I don't think I don't. What what I'm trying to say is that on on the sense of logic that we've been speaking about, the HSP isn't going to be the mirror. It's just, you know, one step further on the on the spectrum sort of the next thing is going to come and then the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and then and you all have of the a sudden, stoics <laughs> you so know did you say they're coming N at it from from the other yes. <laughs> did you say nfp or nsp nfp neurofunctional nfp In Swedish, it's NFP. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking of NMFP, as in not my fucking problem. Um, no, that's but... not the one. <laughs> as in denial is not my fucking problem. Neuropsychiatric functional NPF. Ha, huh, that's ah. it. Neuropsychiatrika funktionsnedsättningar. Mm. Um, and it's not särskriven. It's not Sorry, that was a Swedish joke. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay, so, you know. Nobody even... Neuropsychiatric... I, I... Um, what is it called? Uh, got to be careful. Got to find a woke word here. Yes. Mm. Neuropsychiatric special abilities. <laughs> yes, that was very woke. Probably not. I'm going to get 
slaughtered for that. You know, but yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, you're in good company. Well, is, is it going to have occurred? Probably not. Um, you know, I mean, the whole point of uh, the, the sort of process of scientific inquiry is to create more and more nuance and, and deeper and deeper understanding with, you know, broader and deeper, uh, uh, granular possibilities. But the fact that yeah, classifications, yeah, yeah, and creating, you know, taxonomies so that we can understand these things and uh, sort of, again, get to the point of being able to say, well, that's just a such and such and such and such. So um, the relational process oriented aspect of it doesn't have to be attended to. And that can really be very practical and necessary, you know, that, uh, that, that sometimes you just have to get things done. You actually have to clean the apartment. Um, But at a, 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 a sort of grander systemic level, man, one might well wonder what would have happened if uh, Adam Smith included relationships in his grand vision of, of economics. I mean, he did try. He did, uh, yeah, he did. publish a book on, on morals and so on, but it wasn't really as attractive as profit. And for me, quite sort of not not really relevant as to whether it's right or wrong, but that where we are now, this is the stuff that's that's coming out, that's emerging, you know, like uh, uh, woke behavior with all its kind of weird destructive results um, that follows on uh, uh, rationalism with all, all its weird and destructive results. Uh, but all of it leads in some way to higher sensitivity, to a sort of broader spectrum of, of, of possible experience. Yeah, I think, I think something, something that's important for me to come back to is the sense of of us being allowed to be sensitive what you said dominic about you know it's it's fine now that you're highly sensitive it's even a team you know you're you're allowed to to be sensitive now i think the backlash to that you know sort of the pendulum movement is that we're feeling a you know i've i've had trying trying to put the words and thoughts in order here so that it makes sense coming out <laughs> don't <Sorry>. laugh <laughs> Harder than I He's thought. He's sensitive. <laughs> now you've hurt his feelings and destroyed the little bit of concentration he had. You know. No, but that, that, 
that is exactly the point of, of you know, if, if I'm a, all of a sudden allowed to be sensitive, if it's even put on a pedestal, sort of everyone should be it and everyone should be it all of the time. You know, sort of, sort of the, the generational conversation that we've been having for quite some, I mean, I think it's a great thing that, that we're allowed to feel and that we're not economic men anymore. Sort of, it is, it is enriching life, really. But. At the same time, I despise my generation for feeling every little thing that could possibly be felt in every tiny muscle and and sort of pocket of your your mind. Sort of, I think the pendulum has swung back and it's swung back hard. Mm. Which is possibly necessary, probably necessary, but also worth adding to to the whole discussion of, yes, we should feel, but come on, you don't, you don't need to sort of, exactly. Mm. And you don't have to sort of, you know, look into your, your navel and say, oh, there's something in there all of the time. I've been speaking to this several times this week, and and in one conversation, uh, I said, from from back when when I sort of discovered this little friend, the the little camera that looks at me, so I feel what I feel, but I also pick up on ah, I'm feeling this right now. So the meta me. Um, and and my conversational partner said, I wonder if that isn't the point of, of the mind that we have as humans, this, this fact that we don't just feel what we, we feel. We have the ability to also observe ourselves in it. And that is, that's the point of this thing in here. And that was like, oh yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And it makes me realize how, because I was like, 32, 35, when I found this little buddy, uh, that we don't speak about it, we don't bring it up, we don't train ourselves into thinking that, we train ourselves very much into the feeling, um, but not what can I, how can I play with this? How can I utilize the instrument that is me in the best way to really create music that, that you know, makes a difference in a sense? But, and I also, yesterday in a coach, coach walk, you know, it's like, I feel what I feel and that's informative. It's information that there's something here that is true. It doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm feeling is the truth, you know, the, the bigger one, because I might have gotten something wrong. I might have misinterpreted. I have a fear from when I was a little child and that influenced my thoughts on the matter at hand, etc. So it's information, but I don't have to stay in it forever and ever and ever. And I think that's what the Swedish word of kränkt, 
uh, offended or whatever. There isn't really the perfect word in, in English for it. Everybody who is so hung up on, on feeling how offended they are and just staying in that forever and ever. And it makes all parts of me just go, oh, that's so uncomfortable. I can feel offended. Absolutely. But what's the, the, it's a, it's a shutting down of me. If I stay there, if I cling to it, if I hold on as hard as I can to this sense that I am offended. And again, I, you know, movement isn't possible then. And we're supposed to be in movement. It's, it's, that's what life is. Life is movement. It's in and it's out. It's contraction and release. You know, it's like that's life. But if I cling to it, I cling and I'm, I'm, it, there's, like you said, there's the, the rigor to it. And, and that's not supposed to be, I think. Are you trying to take away my right to feel offended? It's my friend. I am offended by that. That's what some people might think that I said. Well, I think, you know, life is also supposed to be that the clinging and the identification and all of those things. Um, it's kind of important too, you know, um, the fact that people identify with um, uh, injustices has led to sort of quite remarkable shifts in uh, what the state of equality is, for example. And if they hadn't, then Possibly there wouldn't be any energy, and those those moments of clinging also generate polarization and generate energy and make it possible for a third thing to to emerge, a different insight to emerge. And I but think I the, would argue that when there is when there's change possible in it, then that is because they are also not just clinging; they are also working towards the release right it's it's like i'm here and this is wrong and i see this and hence i'm in movement um, well the and i see this is quite an advanced stage things have to get pretty fucking desperate before people want to change Quote by Dominic. Yeah, I don't think it's my sort of grand insight. No, no. Uh, still. But it's that kind of, you know, the, uh, the my, my usual metaphor of turning to addiction or, or alcoholism or that kind of thing. There's this kind of moment where uh, uh, everything is now fucked up your business, your home, your family, uh, everything is gone. Um, and then uh, maybe by, you know, some uh, process of law or uh, maybe because, uh, you know, there's some 
family member that says, well, don't you think you should go to rehab? Uh, you get to rehab and, and there you're still kind of resisting the possibility that any of this has anything to do with you. It's still like someone else's fault, you know. And in those group conversations in AA, the thing that happens is that there's a, 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 a sort of mirror being held up in which it's possible to discover what's my part of this. And that what's my part of it is the thing that you're talking about now of saying, uh, gee, I can see something else. Um, but that doesn't arrive because I'm offended. No. It probably arrives because, yes, I'm offended and I'm hurt and, um, you know, I've kind of, I'm, I'm seeking justice of some kind and it's all the other parties uh, doing and et cetera, et cetera. And possibly, uh, you know, and I think this is probably one of the things where uh, the, 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 the discourse in, in, in global politics Yeah, so, you know, on a, on a grand scale, you know, people keep saying, oh, things are so polarized, it's impossible to do anything, things are so polarized, things are so polarized. And I think, well, you know, um, dealing with polarization um, is, is going to require uh, at least some sort of insight or vision that you need to facilitate the meeting of these two positions um, and they can't be facilitated and met out of some sort of uh, conviction that one of them is right or that there is a right state hmm. and the 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 cultural fishbowl that we are in uh, is pretty clear that anybody that inhabits that position of vision and facilitation um, is automatically excluded from the power game. That's not what we're doing. You want to win with all of your convictions intact. Doesn't matter what the price is. And for me, dealing with a, a conflict between two people or uh, people within a group in which that sort of um, uh, conviction is so strong that we're going to be right no matter what. Um, well, it excludes the possibility of relationship directly. So there's no point in, in, in trying to convince people that, you know, can't you just hear what they're saying? Because no, they can't. The only thing to do is to kind of amplify the signal um, you know, till it, 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 it bursts through its, its own restrictions, until it reaches its own uh, uh, margins and steps over its own boundaries and starts to uh, 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 make these absurd double messages, uh, contradictory communications that can be um, received in reflection. Because before that happens, there's no real... There's no real, uh, uh, there's no space, you know, it's like uh, two circles that meet in a Venn diagram. There's a, there's a little bit in the middle where 
there's something of everybody involved. Um, but when the two circles haven't yet met, well, then we don't have that possibility. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. It's just a thing. But deeply uncomfortable. And I mean, there has to be, if, if I bring it down on a personal level, if, I, if, if there's someone over there and our two circles are not overlapping, if I'm interested in this person for one reason or another, if there's some type of investment from me, either it's a relation, you know, it's like family, or it's, it's a co-worker and we're going to be together for the next five years in a project. Or, you know, it's like if there's something, it's the neighbor, whatever. If there's something that tells me that it would be worthwhile, there's, there's enough potential in leaning towards, in, in trying to see... What could we overlap on? What are some basic core values that we could agree on, for instance? But if there's no interest, if it's like, you know, it's, it's the neighbor down the street or it's, it's somebody, you know, it's like I have no interest in them or in the relationship that we could have or, or anything. It's like, okay, fine. I, I won't be leaning towards, I won't be trying to, to get our two circles to overlap because I have, no, I have no inclination. There's nothing driving me towards that. Um, and it's like, like you say, neither of those is good or bad, right or wrong. Um, it is. Because I am not, honest to God, I'm not interested in, in coming closely to everybody, um, you know. But there are people I am interested in, in coming closer. Um, yeah, don't try to please everyone because you don't even like everyone. And at the same time, I can be civil, I can be respectful, I can be humanist. Of course. Um, I don't have to, to be nasty. I can be like... treating everybody, you know, on, on that, which is my core values, sort of treating everybody with with respect and dignity, you know, it's like, that's fine. I can say hello. Um, I don't have to spit at them. Um. So what about people who, who don't feel the same way? About... Fuck them. <laughs> who don't feel the same way about what? About uh, that one should respect others. Well, again, 
on a personal level, am I interested in this person? Is there something drawing me to it? Is it someone I, I have in my life in a way that affects me? Lean towards. On a, on a grander scale, what am I doing? How am I being in the world? What can I do to affect the culture? Um, And there are different modalities to that. Some people will stand there with a sign shouting and screaming and some people won't. Um, some people will be, you know, influencing policymakers in, in writing. You know, it's like there's a whole spectrum of, of what to do about that. Do I think it's okay for people not to respect others? Well, Personally, no, I don't, but, but I'm not, that's not a, a war I'm fighting. That's not my purpose in life to make everybody respect everybody. But it can definitely sort of be a turn off. It can make me actually lean a, away from I think I'm even more binary in that sort of sense. There's a, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've watched almost all of the stand-up specials on on Netflix, and there's a wonderful special with um, Jeff Ross and Dave Attell called Bumping Mics, and they do sort of half half improvised stuff a lot of speaking with the audience and they bring up guests um continuously through their shows and there's one guest who says i can't remember his name um one of them brings up his his acting on twitter and he says well sometimes you've you've got to tell a n-word to to suck a dick you know, that's just... You know, there, there's... There's quite a huge part of me just, just feeling fuck em. If If you're not civil, I'm not going to be civil back. You know, I'm not going to pay any attention. Of course, as, as you're... You're saying, Helena, if it's someone in my life, if it's someone I want to keep, you know, sure, I'll make an effort. But otherwise, just be somewhere else. There's there's so many places to be in this world. So many things to do. Just not not here. I'm fine without that. Thanks. You uh, inspire me to quote Ricky Gervais in his um, childhood memories. He says, um, well, my dad always used to say to me, if you haven't got something nice to say, you can fuck off and be a dick somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but seriously, what's the point? Well, for me, the point is that uh, people are not their behaviors. People are not their opinions. People are not their beliefs. People are not their not. ideologies. Well, it's not that simple, you know. I mean, uh, people will actually go to war for this stuff. Mm -hmm. People will bomb the isms without a problem. There is so kind of, expand. Well, uh, you're going to bomb the Islamists, or you're going to bomb the feminists, or you're going to, you know, cancel whoever, but there is absolutely sort of ingrained at a certain level of, of our psychological development, the idea that um, it's justified in a kind of biblical sense uh, to, 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 to wipe out the other population because they barbaric or they unchristian or they whatever, you know, some sort of ism. So it isn't an, an entirely irrelevant question. Um, it's, it's, it's quite an important question. How do we deal with this? And it's, uh, I mean, from my point of view, it's, it's, it's seated in this problem of the empiric contra uh, the process awareness. So as long as we imagine that uh, feminists are feminists or racists are racists, um, well, then it's really easy to continue down that line. And that line ends with where we've eradicated them completely at whatever cost, whether it's by guillotine or starvation or exclusion or whatever, um, it's possible. You know, we can definitely do that. Uh, the the process-oriented thing of the other at the other end is to say, well, um, that person is displaying a particular behavior. They're experiencing a particular thought. Um, they, they, they in a, uh, uh, in the, in the, in, in a flow, in a, um, in a process of experience. And that, that experience is not the person. So we don't need to eradicate the person. We don't need to, um, turn them into a thing. Would you say there is any difference to that on a macro and a micro level? Saying, you know, at least, you know, my, my experience and, and the way I've been, been dealing with those, let's, let's take someone that's, that's racist, just, just to make an example of, of what I'm pointing to, you know, my approach has been what you're describing as the process-oriented way of, of just, you know, talking to them, making them as human as I can, telling myself they're not their opinions, you know, they're coming from somewhere, there's something in here. You know, we, we can have a civil conversation about this. But on a macro level, sort of politically, you know, I don't support a racist party. I will say that the individuals in that party on a micro level have experiences, they are humans, but, but on the macro level, would you say those are different things or, or is there any difference 
or are there similarities between the two? Mm. Well, there's differences and similarities, but I think that that the things that the the scale of things that you're talking about, the sort of uh, the the depth in the the layers of uh, the dimensions of our existence are different. I mean, so when you're addressing uh, the notion of racism um, is quite different to addressing the, the, the phenomenon or behavior of incidental racist behavior or expression. Um, they're quite different. In what way? Well, in the sense that when you, when you oppose the idea of racism, um, you're basically giving credence to that here is a thought form that has been around in this, uh, uh, in this, in this tangible, observable thing uh, for several hundred years in many different contexts, in many different situations. It's, it, it has acted as a uh, justifier for swathes of historic uh, events and taking a position of saying, well, um, I can't really support that. Um, I can't see that that is a useful thing. Say contra-humanism. Um, I mean, humanism is also fairly um, controversial. There are any number of philosophers that do really good critiques of humanism. Um, but it's unlikely that you're going to go out and find somebody uh, at the store and say, you fucking humanist. How, how could you be so damn considerate towards others? You know, don't you know that that's the, the basis of colonialism or, you know, whatever. Uh, but you might want to do that around uh, uh, issues around racism. And when you do, when you go out and confront, you know, the uh, National Front or whatever they're called, the, the Nordic resistance movement or, and, and accuse them of being racist, um, I think that that uh, attempting to um, sort of call on several hundred years of ideation in order to accost a person in their behavior um, is pretty meaningless. And in that way, these two things are different. But when you speak to that person and, and, and say, you know, uh, could we talk about this? Could we talk about ways in which it's possible to see the world in other ways? Because the way that I'm experiencing what you're doing is that it reminds me of, of this idea of racism. And that's my perception. That's my experience of you. But that person's experience, when you talk to these uh, 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 people who are involved in in uh, the the neo-Nazi movements and etc. etc. They don't necessarily describe themselves as racist. They talk about something else, you know, which we label racist and therefore unacceptable. And these two things are for me quite different. They they um, they different experiences. They 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 offer different processes. They different different. Um, uh, opportunities for the simple reason that racism is something that uh, I think um, I know about 
and I carry within me through uh, uh, my own history and background and education, etc., etc. But I don't need to behave in a racist manner. I don't feel that this is the the ideology that that I want to identify with and run my life and etc. etc. But it it comes from very far back, and I have to carry it. I have to apply myself in order to recognize it. But when I recognize it, that is going to be based on my experience. That's the primary uh, issue here is I'm interpreting somebody else's activities as being racist. And in that way, uh, that's the shift for me is that in order to have that conversation, I have to take responsibility for uh, well, how I perceive things. For the interpretations that I make. There's for me no uh, uh, salvation in saying N-word. Um, it's for me equally as racist as saying uh, the actual word, oh my God. Um, what is the point, you know? Uh, well, you know, that's my problem. It's not anybody else's problem. That's my problem. And I really can appreciate that other people don't want uh, those labels to be used, that they don't want certain pronouns to be used. Uh, all of these things are like valid in the sense of personal experience, but they're not necessarily, uh, um, uh, there's, there's very little ground for prescriptive policy-based enforced behaviors around them. And that's a big shift for me. It's a really, really important thing. Maybe a, a subtle distinction, but I. No, I don't. I don't know if it is. You know the. Well, I'm gonna make a lot of. Well, not a lot of people, but people unhappy about saying this. But there's there's been something, you know. There, there's been a phenomenon the past couple of years, at least here in Sweden, where where survivors of of the holocaust have been in media in different different ways and i've sort of i've i had a lecture from from a guy who survived the holocaust in in my school uh many years ago and you know writing in newspapers going out in in uh, television you know saying these neo-nazi movements it's the exact same thing as in uh in germany um in the past maybe year maybe two there's been something quite unsettling with that for me and i think it is exactly that it it doesn't produce anything you know these people are are published in newspapers that the neo nazi movement or the people in the neo nazi movement aren't reading you know there there's no not going to say there's no way but there there is i have a hard time imagining uh uh Participant in Nordfront or or uh, whatever the movement is called now, 
are have a subscription of DN. Very very local here in Sweden, but but it's applicable, you know, globally. What would be far more interesting to me is is a an actual conversation between the two. Just as you're saying, from my point of view, from my experience, from all of this that that you know, I came out of that. This is what I'm seeing. And the response would probably probably be just what you're saying. You know, the the neo-Nazi person probably wouldn't call themselves a Nazi in that context. I don't know. Ooh. I haven't seen it happen. Ooh. But but I can assume. I think the um, on being episode with Matthew and Derek on um, uh, with this neo-Nazi or or like white supremacy and um, Orthodox Jew and but. Derek, the white supremacist, he had some other friend who was talking to him and, and, and his standpoint was just that I am not racist. I'm not, you know, and, and, and through the friendship, through the connection that was there, she would ask him questions about, well, why do you like, because his standpoint was, if I remember sort of this, that you know, I don't have an issue with, with other people or other cultures or um, stuff. I just want the white to be, you know, contained in this way. And they're, you know, go ahead, do whatever you want, but don't mix up with me. And she said, but when you are, she challenged then what was being said in, you know, rallies and information pep talks and, and stuff like that, because she said, you're not, that's not what the focus is. Why are you then saying that the Holocaust didn't happen? You know, it's like that has nothing to do with keeping the white race uh, pure. So you, why you know, are you like saying that the Holocaust didn't happen? You know, why are you a Holocaust denier? That has nothing to do with, with the fact that you want the white race to be uh, pure and kept pure. Mm. Like, and and it, does it's, he it's say a that weird, the Holocaust and, and, didn't happen? He actually didn't, but he could understand that that is what a lot of people were saying. Um, and, and he sort of, you know, started to figure out that, oh, yeah, that's a weird argument because it's actually not an argument for my cause. It's an argument against somebody else. And, hey, well, I was, you know, so so... And that conversation was one of the steps that eventually led to him saying, I don't think I believe in this white supremacy stuff anymore. 
and, and stepping out of that. Um, yeah. I haven't heard the conversation. It's a good one. But I mean, for me, uh, you know, calling people Holocaust deniers is like calling people climate change deniers. Uh, the notion of there being the Holocaust is for me totally absurd. Uh, yeah. That in this day and age, we still are talking about the Holocaust, even though we know that there have been appalling Holocausts. Are. You know, it's like, there's so obviously, yeah, Yeah. there's there's a subtext going on here. And, and, yes, and... Well, you guys aren't uh, focusing on the important one. Thank you, thank you. Mm. And I would say that the conversation that he had with his, I think it was a, a lady friend... was centered on us, you know, it's like she tagged along with him to one and, and was, you know, questioning him or wondering, talking to him in conversation with him. Like, how does this, you know, further your cause? It, it really doesn't. It sort of, you know, puts fuel on something else that, that you know, so... I'm, I agree with you, there's lots of that, but she was, again, this was picking up on this specific thing, what happened here, and how, it's like, her wanting to understand what is it that you see in this, because I see this, uh, right? So it wasn't, you're a Holocaust denier, that wasn't what their conversation was about. Um, but rather, what does the holocaust of world war ii because that was what had been the topic why why would denying that further your cause it's like there's curiosity and and a sense of of wanting to figure things out in in the conversation that they had and in in general in the conversation i think that matthew and derek had um, we can put a link to this uh, in the show notes. I think it's a difficult example because um, there's a series of unwritten rules about what happened in, in uh, the Second World War. So if you sort of uh, question any of it, then you're automatically cancelled from the platform. But you can talk about uh, the Holocaust of of Native Americans. You can talk about uh, the Holodor, as it's called in Ukraine. Um, You can talk about uh, uh, what happened in China in in, in, uh, 1950, you know, that you can question, that's not a problem. And then if you apply the same conversation into those arenas, they suddenly don't have any power. Um, That's really interesting to me. That's kind of uh, fascinating. What do you mean they don't have any power? Well, they just don't hold the the sort of um, emotive states, you know. 
I mean, I'd like to say that uh, rejecting white supremacy um, is a fuck of a lot bigger as a concept. I mean, if you really are going to reject white supremacy, uh, then you have to accept that the, the, the premises of, um, in any case, all economic de development since the Enlightenment are based on white supremacy. It's kind of written in the rule book that only whites can do useful things. So if you're participating in globalism as it is today, well, then you support white supremacy. It's very convenient to point to rednecks and complain that they, they're white supremacists, but you're still involved with Starbucks and uh, global trade, etc., etc. I'm sorry, that doesn't wash, you know, it actually doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Isn't that why you need to be woke and, and accept your, your privilege? Isn't that how we, how we fixed it? Well, again, I think that a lot of the stuff that comes out of intersectionality and so on is, is, uh, is expressed in unfortunate ways. I mean, it just seems like completely fucking cuckoo. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a deep signal from outer space coming through the woke scene um, that maybe in 30, 40 years, you know, if you think about the, the evolution of feminism, um, wokeness might just evolve into something really deep and meaningful. Um, but for the moment, it just seems kind of fucked up. But yeah, but we fixed it. That's the way that people think it's going to get fixed, you know, and at the moment um, it's running into the, the sort of classic uh, Jacobin problem, you know, that we've We've managed to put together like what problem? Jacobin, the Jacobites who ran the French Revolution, French you know, Revolution. sort of, okay. um, they just sort of neglected to tell everybody that violence is definitely the means. So in order to have a peaceful revolution, you need to kill all the people that are against your revolution. Um, and wokeness kind of runs into the same sort of problem that uh, it, it proposes solutions out of the same playbook that made the situation that they're pushing back against. Um, they're not pushing back for the wrong reason. There's definitely something very wrong, but they're pushing back with the wrong method, um, which is the method that got them to the place where they started to feel, oh, there's something really bad going on here. Caspian's studying his dust specs on the ceiling. No, no I've, there, there are a multitude of things popping up for me because I've heard this argument a couple of times. I don't think it's been connected to, to the French Revolution before, which makes a lot of sense. You know, again, stand-up comedy is... It's It's been my, my means of, of getting you know, common common education. I don't know what you call it. Almond building. Um, but but um, Dave Chappelle actually brings this up in connection to the Me Too movement. It's like, you're completely right. All of you. This is horrible. You're doing it the very wrong way and the pendulum is going to swing back. And when it does, blood is going to flow again. 
from your racks. I even think this is what we're a subject of, of our conversations, Alexander Bard is trying to say not doing very well at times. Mm. So I I saw on Facebook the other day um, Peanuts, the, um, the cartoon, um, how when, what's his name, Franklin, the little black boy, when he was introduced into the series, if this is true, I haven't checked it out, but it seemed like this could be true. Um, some, some teacher had written to, to what's his name, Schultz? Charles Schultz, oh, oh. yeah, had written to him over and over again because she was seeing and she was working in a, you know, poor neighborhood, lots of black kids who did not have a role model. They weren't visible in movies, cartoons, comics, you know, it's like they, they didn't have anybody to sort of hang onto that looked like them. Mm. So she was writing to him saying this, you know, it would really, it would make such a difference if, um, and he responded back saying that, yeah, I see what you mean, but this and that and the other thing and and then she would write back and he would respond again so he was responding he was not ignoring and he could see her point he was just afraid that it would cause a backlash and he you know it's like yada yada and eventually i don't know 10 years later he was like she has a point this is a valid point and i have in that time also you know he'd built up so, so he introduced this and it was just, hi, my name is, you know, it wasn't fanfare. It wasn't, you know, it's like, just we, here you are. We've got ourselves a, a black person. Precisely. That was like, that was not the headlines, but his publishing company was, oh no, you can't do this. We don't want this. You have to redraw it. And he was saying, you know, either you print it the way it is or I'm out of here. Um, so they printed it the way it was. And, and there's, there's something to this that rather than make a big deal of it, rather than correspondingly making a big deal of whites only, he wasn't going, here's a black person. You know, it was just... I don't know. It just was. You know, and he's a character like the other characters and, and stuff. And I, having watched now all of the seasons of The Hundred in a short period of time, I was actually picking up on that as well. Here that, you know, it's like 
there's people of, of all colors and heights and sizes and ages and 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 um, there's different types of religion and there's also uh, all types of, of, of uh, sexual orientations without banging any drums without pointing out without making it a big thing it just is um, and I've and that made me think that that's something that I've seen in in more and more movies or series lately this it just is it's not yeah it's not pointed at or used as a way of of gaining anything you know score for us here hey we but just this is the way it is and this is the way we'll we'll show it somehow um yeah i don't know how that really connects but in my mind it did somehow You know, I think that the part of the, the, the problem is that um, the identification issue, for example, um, is just sort of part of our evolutionary biological reality um, that in endless uh, uh, testing around discrimination and identification, people sought for things that they recognize as their own. Um, Etc. 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 And then there's this possibility of uh, development psychology leading to states in which we are capable of of plurality. Where we're capable of of holding two thoughts in our head. We're capable of seeing that. Okay. Yeah. Well. You know, the person doesn't look like me, but that doesn't mean I can make any assumptions about them. They could be exactly like me. They could be totally different. Um, you know. Etc. Etc. But that these things are are connected to development levels. So it's kind of appropriate for 13-year-olds to only want to hang out with other 13-year-olds that have the same kind of sneakers or whatever it is, you know. Um, that's the the order of the day. Um, <laughs> Caspian laughs. Um, so old. Uh, well, okay. I don't know what's hip for kids this, these days. Maybe it's sneakers, whatever. Whatever <laughs> app it is, you've got to have, you know. <laughs> um, but then when it gets to, to, to adults, then it gets kind of weird. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a greater uh, demand on me as a person um, to be more adult, to be able to accept that uh, there are groupings of adults that really, really do want to engage in this kind of level of identification that excludes others. Okay, well, you know, uh, how is that going to happen? How do we do that so that it doesn't lead to harm or doesn't lead to, uh, you know, um, an imbalance of privilege and those kind of things? And I think your story with Schultz is really interesting because there's also this aspect of time that we don't really allow for. Everything has to happen now. You're racist, you should change now. Oh, well, 
I just listen to a podcast mm. and, you know, I've decided that now I'm a vegan or whatever the case might be. Um, and, well, you know, life just isn't like that. It isn't. Mm. Um, and, and across the globe, uh, there's such a broad spectrum of human experience and not everything is the sort of tech bro West Coast version of life that everybody seems to think is, is the standard we should refer to. Some people actually want to mull over things for 10 years. They need to do that because that's the pace at which ideas shift from point A to point B. Um, mm. And the, the, the kind of responsible adult thing is, is to think, well, there are different kids in the class and, uh, you know, some of them are going to handle these, these challenges differently to others. And that's it. So just sort of step up and make it possible for them to handle them in the best possible way for, for their particular needs and their particular developments. I mean, you know, this week in the, in the election, more people voted for Trump than last time. Like 7 million more people. Well, they're all racist and bad people. Well, that's possibly so, but the norm-generating machinery told you that this was impossible. I didn't believe that, though. Fake news. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't matter that you didn't believe it. The point is that the world's most resource-rich uh, uh, information-spreading engines were all saying for weeks and weeks and weeks on end that there would be a landslide victory because nobody supports this fucker, you know. No, he's horrible. He's so horrible, he doesn't even deserve being treated with the same rights as everybody else. So fuck him. And then it turns out that even more people voted for him than last time. Well, that tells you that there's something that isn't matching up here, you know, that... Uh, it doesn't simply help to say, ooh, racist or sexist or whatever the case is, that there's a kind of messy conversation to have, and it's probably going to take a fuck of a lot longer than, uh, you know, clicking like or whatever the sort of standard reference for how fast things are supposed to change. Um, yeah, well, rather have that conversation than the one in which we talk about how we're going to sort of manage to manage the mass graves for another million bodies. You know, just as a cheerful sort of... Um, <laughs> Way to end it all. <laughs> Tired up with a cheerful sort of <laughs> positive, you know, hope for the future. See you next week. Yeah. <laughs> Our plan is to not prepare for mass graves. <laughs> Thank yeah. you and good night. Yeah, I think that is a wrap. We've gone way over two hours. We have. Indeed. Mm. Mm. And, and we're up on. 
I'm yeah, sorry. well, it's it's just interesting. This messy conversations are messy. It's like it's not. I don't turn this off and go skip, skip, skip. You know, into the sunset. That's not what happens, right? It's like holy. Well, fuck. that's good because it's ten thirty. I would be very worried if you had a sundown. Yeah, but you know, um, it's it's it's. It is messy. It is positive and negative. It is, oh, this is great. And fuck, this is uncomfortable. It, it is all of that. It is more than two thoughts at one time. It is a multiple thoughts. And we need more of it. We need more messy conversations. So here's an ask. Go out and have a messy conversation to everybody listening. Ask a question. No? Yes. Good. Yes. Wrap. Wrap.